How's it going, everybody? Joe Patrick here, Dirty South Soccer, with a kind of a different uh, podcast episode here. Uh, I, I don't know. We we don't we have some podcast brands on this Dirty South Soccer podcast network. Of course, we've got Five Stripe Final, which I'm on with Jay Sam Jones. We've got uh, Mouths of the South with uh, Sam Franco, Eric Quintana, Josh Bagriansky, or some combination of those three. I've actually just recently started a new one for Atlanta United 2 that kind of just got off the ground with like one episode before everything was shut down. Uh, Hopefully we can get some more of those episodes up soon. And this is going to kind of be a one-off and just let me know on Twitter or in the comments because I'll do a... um, post for this uh for this episode uh if this is something you'd be interested in continuing to hear which is um uh i'm gonna put jeff lorenowitz and darren eels directly on this podcast their audio from the interview that we did with them last thursday i think it was thursday it was really good and one of the reasons i decided to do this with via a podcast um a couple reasons actually first of all i just thought that Jeff, especially considering his personal uh, ties to the negotiation as a member of the MLSPA uh, executive committee or executive board, however they uh, call that, you know, I I think that he he took some things personally and I think he's still feeling some like personal hurt over the negotiations and how some things went. And really, the so the reason I wanted to put him on a podcast was just because I want the full context of what he was saying to kind of be expressed and for everybody to understand kind of where he's coming from and, and understand the frustrations that he shows throughout the interview uh, that I don't know really. I mean, I'm sure it conveys to to uh, an article in a paper, but I just thought it would be beneficial for everybody to hear from him directly. And also considering that we are not allowed um, at the training ground and to, you know, be in front of these people. I've just one. I've one of the points of the coverage I've always tried to bring to Dirty South Soccer or, you know, for MLSsoccer.com when I write for them is I always just want to try to bring you guys as close to uh, these people as possible because I know you guys all have a very vested interest in this team and in the people uh, that compose it. So um, hopefully you enjoy it. If not, no big deal. But uh, I think that this might be helpful and it might be a kind of a different way way we can do some coverage uh, i hope that none of the other journalists have a problem with me doing this because it's something that's honestly I, I haven't really seen too much of before and it could be um you know not quite the standard protocol for how to report these things but i think it's important especially in this instance with jeff i, I think it's important for you guys to kind of understand um his emotions as it as it relates to the topic that he's talking about which is mls returning and uh, agreeing and ratifying the new cba so let's get into it. The first question, of course, was just generally how he's feeling about the CBA being ratified and kind of his feelings over the negotiation. Here's what he had to say. Uh, these were incredibly difficult. I think that, you know, we've been through or I've been through several collective bargaining sessions um, with the players, but but this one had an incredible unknown the variable of the virus and collective bargaining is already difficult, but doing it around something that is relatively um, unknown. We're still learning things about it. We're still learning about um, how it's going to affect the future. Uh, It's difficult to bargain around. So I would say that this was easily one of the most difficult, um, 
negotiations I've, I've been a part of. And then as far as what's been passed, um, I can't say that I, I, I fully, um, feel like Orlando as a tournament is, um, I, I never really felt like my answers were, were, or my questions were fully answered. Being asked to take a leap of faith by the commissioner in a situation involving a pandemic seems, uh, forces me to question some things, but I understand the, the need to, to get back to play for a lot of players. And I also understand that there will be a lot of testing, but there still seems to be holes in, in the plan. And I hope they are going to use the next several weeks to close those holes. So Jeff is clearly worried here about being uh, in the... Now, I'm not saying Jeff is concerned about being at the age where he's in a riskier cohort of people who are at risk for worse outcomes of this disease, but I'm not not saying that. No, but uh, I, I, I kid. But clearly you can see that he had some issues with, um, you know, someone like him. He's been around for so long and he's still saying that this was the most difficult negotiation. And you can understand why, right? Like these are totally unique circumstances that these guys are negotiating under. And it's just like a just a crazy thing to do. Um, the, the time frame that they had to do it in is also kind of unprecedented. So you can understand why this would be such a difficult negotiation for these guys. All right, let's hear his next bit. Where Felipe Cardenas asks Jeff how the players felt when the owners threatened to lock the players out. Here's what Jeff said. I was disgusted when I read the email. I thought that it was over the top. I thought it was... A bullying tactic. I thought that the lockout threat all along would would be something where the league is cutting off its nose to spite its face. And I think that it showed incredible understanding and resolve of the players to stand up to that. We we moved, we moved again, we were open. We wanted to have a make a collaborative process we wanted to make it something that was good for everyone in an incredibly difficult circumstance and to make that threat on the heels of them asking for collaboration and an open discussion to to find a way to to get through a difficult time really doesn't sit well with me at all. And I, I think, you know, I'm not one to, to hold grudges and it's a difficult process, but it's going to take me a, a bit of time to get, to get past that myself. So what Jeff is talking about here is what happened on Sunday night where there was a report that came out that the owners were willing to go to a lockout situation if the players didn't kind of, bend the knee to their demands and you can really understand i hope that you can kind of sense in jeff's voice kind of beyond what he's saying just the the general sentiment that's expressed in his tone it's kind of he he still feels hard done by in this whole negotiation this next part uh i kind of followed up later so this is not really taken in order of the interview but i did later ask kind of how he felt that night about um if there was going to be a resolution in this in this 
I say case, but like, you know, in the, in this negotiation uh, between the two sides when he read that email on Sunday night. So let's hear what he had to say. Sunday night was the night, you know, that we had our, that was probably one of the later nights. I mean, being, getting that email from the league, I think they got it around five. I think I was on board calls until eight o'clock. I think we had a, a bargaining committee call thereafter. Um, and I, I said to my wife, we're going to be locked out because not only does the threat not make sense, but if you want to make that threat on this, have at it. That's how I felt. Go for it. You guys want to do that? Go for it. Because like I said, it's nonsensical. And when you're enacting a force majeure, the players are in trouble too. You know, the, the league is in trouble. That's an acknowledgement that, that something's going on. It's not like we're, we're fighting over free agency. But we as players, like I said, need to know that in an uncertain case of a force majeure situation, we need to know that we have common protections written into those laws. And, and what we were asking for was more or less industry standard. And they were asking for something which is not out of character for them, which is over the top and somewhat nonsensical. And we said, thanks, but no thanks, guys. And if you want to make that threat, then then have at it. Okay, so you guys have probably heard the term force majeure a lot if you've been following these MLS negotiations. And that's clearly obviously what Jeff is referring to. I think he mentions it in that in that response there. So what the force majeure is, is a clause that goes into the collective bargaining agreement that essentially gives the part gives either or both parties um, a chance to just rip it up, rip up the CBA it no longer applies. And what the issue was, was the owners tried to tie that force majeure clause to attendance drops, which are very, you know, you can understand why there would be attendance drops, not be just because of, um, you know, natural disinterest in the league based on time off or whatever, but you could see people not wanting to go to games as much anymore due to health concerns. A lot of people will have uh, or be in much different financial positions and maybe not be able to attend games like they used to. So you can understand why players wouldn't want that tied to that because it would really put things out of their hands and it could make it could make it so that that force majeure clause could be enacted at any time. And the players just wanted some more protection over that. Let's hear some more about what uh, Jeff had to say about that force majeure clause. The force majeure was, was clearly the most important thing. And, and that's what caused the impasse at the end and, and forced the, the league to make the lockout threat. Um, it's obvious, you know, we all follow the news and we're all well informed because we play a contact sport and, and a virus is a serious thing that, you know, puts us all in danger. So we all follow the news and understand where the, uh, a vaccine might be and when, when this world might be, be safe again. And it doesn't seem like that's going to come um, before the end of the year. Maybe it does or, or maybe early next year. But the force majeure clause will, will be... <clears throat> triggered in December and, and we'll have a 30 day um, negotiation period. So I think that us knowing as players that the league could be affected next year, similar to how it is this year means that 
not only could we be in this exact position in six or seven months, but we need, we need to, to know that when we are in that position, we're protected and we're not beholden to nonsensical rules that the league is trying to throw into a CBA. So I think a great example there of the players making a firm stance and kind of calling the bluff of the owners there with regards to this force majeure. And you got to give credit to Jeff Lorenowitz, especially as one of the leaders on the executive board of this negotiating uh, group for the players to make sure that they got their just protection. So kudos to him. Let's kind of pivot now. Uh, we've talked enough about force majeure and technical clauses and CBAs and all those things. Let's talk about the health aspect. Obviously, that's kind of what this is all focused around, right? This COVID-19 pandemic that's sweeping the globe, the health concerns that are related to it as it come, as it relates to athletes and things like that. Going to hear from Jeff on a couple different uh, or actually multiple kind of um, uh, topics related to this health subject. First, let's just kind of get his overall take on how the players are feeling about the you know, how healthy it is for these guys to go out there and play. They're taking 2,000 people's lives into their hands and they better have it sorted. So um, it's on them. We're soccer players and we want to play and it's your job now to keep us safe. So, um, you know, the, the players vote. It's a democratic process. We on the board and, and the folks on the staff do do their best to to find solutions. And like I said, this is probably one of the most difficult times to find a solution because of all the unknowns, because of the varying degrees of, of risk that players are willing to take on during this time. Um, but you're right. There are, there is a player that's been, that, that has tested positive and, and I foresee there being a lot more. And, uh, you know, I'm not looking forward to hearing about the guy who tests positive down there if that happens. Not only for us as, as a group and as a league, but to then be confined in an already confined situation, to be quarantined in your hotel room, um, it's going to be a, a difficult one. And it doesn't take much kind of consideration of the top of the subject to think about the the myriad of issues that would come up for the league when a player if a player does come down with COVID during this situation I've always kind of been more outspoken that I'm not sure that an Orlando doing a hub city is necessarily the safest thing to do from a health perspective it certainly makes it easier for the league to operate the whole thing but I'm not sure it makes things safer it might help prevent the virus from penetrating that bubble but once if it does you know it's going to be very difficult let's hear more from jeff talking about that well then then those players that player will be quarantined and the 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 answer that we've always been been given and and the the mlspa kept a, an epidemiologist on retainer as well who had a zoom call with all the players and 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 he seemed to be pretty confident in the amount of testing we will be getting just the constant testing we will be we will be receiving that will catch positives. But again, there's pre-symptomatic people, asymptomatic people, um, false false positives, false negatives, um, Disney staff that the league never never committed to testing or contact tracing. Um, so 
there are issues out there. We'll see see what happens. So that last part he said there right at the end was kind of a red flag for me, to be perfectly honest, that the league is not committed to testing with regularity the staff at Disney that will be feeding these people, cleaning after these people. That seems like a pretty important role that you would want to have those people tested. I mean, they're going to essentially be uh, touching, maybe not physically touching with their hands, but you know, they will be kind of scouring the entire facility to maintain cleanliness. And if they are not, you know, if they are, they've been infected and they don't know it, that seems like it would be a, a huge issue. Uh, it, it, that one kind of boggled my mind. And I think that that's something that the league will have to address. I don't see how you can possibly think you can keep things safe without testing uh, the staff. And especially you can't have control over the staff. I'm not sure if the staff will stay on the premises just like the players and uh, and team staffers are. I'm t- when I say staff, I mean the the custodial staff, the maintenance staff of the of Disney these they may not have any say over whether these people can go home or not so it's going to be uh in my opinion should be required that these people be getting tests just like the players and everybody else and on that note just with all the you know complications that can arise from doing something like this at disney let's hear jeff talk about kind of some of the protocol concerns that he has and some of the other players have obviously that he's representing because again doing something like this in one location in orlando uh, or doesn't no matter where it is, it just presents a lot of concerns. Let's hear Jeff kind of address some of these things. There, there's so many questions because there, I mean, the list of things is there's there's the virus, there's the testing, there's return to play, there's what's life in the hotel going to be like? When are we going to leave? How long are we going to be there? How many games are we going to play? When are we going to train? How are we going to train? How are we going to eat? How are we going to be tested? How are we going to be quarantined? How do you deal with players that are quarantined? How do you deal with a a test that's positive after a game? I mean, every single level of things has a question, which leads to another question. I mean, you're staying in a hotel, you're social distancing, everyone's wearing masks. How do you, we're all staying on different floors, but how do you use the elevator? Do do you fit 12 guys in an elevator? We've all been to games. Like, we've asked so many questions they have slowly trickled back towards us, but I can't say that the questions have been only about the tests or only about return to play. Everyone has different needs and has different concerns in this. And that's why I said this bargaining period was one of the most difficult because of the fact that you have 730 players each, like you say, at different stages of their career with different concerns. And how do you marry all of those things to create one agreement that, like I said, draws the straightest line nearest to the most points? And um, everyone's going to have questions. We're, we're getting answers coming back to us. But for the moment, um, the players have democratically delivered what the league has asked for. And now it's their job to protect us. So again, lots of concerns from Lil Renowitz and I, about the health concerns, and I think that a lot of them are justly noted. Um, and that's something that you know it, it will be time for us to discuss, and and it will be interesting to kind of see how Major League Soccer lays all this out. Major League Baseball has kind of been on the opposite course of Major League Soccer, where they have been kind of stuck in the mud 
over these financial deliberations, but they've actually gone over the top in terms of setting up the protocol for what the players will and will not be able to do to try to prevent the virus from infecting any players. And even if it does, or or coaches or anybody involved, and even if it does, uh, then how to take care of those situations. So it's really kind of interesting to kind of see the contrast between these two sides, um, considering I follow baseball closely for my job. So with all this said, let's get to one final thing on the health, which is Jeff just talking about what if players aren't satisfied with MLS is doing and elect that they don't want to play. Uh, the the question came up every single call, whether it was a call with um, the league and their staff or whether it was an internal call on a bargaining committee call or even a full player call because there have been so many discussions but everyone has said well what if i just don't want to go and i believe it will be treated as a holdout and you will then be subject to fines Uh, we've been instructed to if we have issues um and we're worried about risks to take those up with our club and and see what sort of discussions we can have but you know that that's that's going to be on each player. Okay, so we're kind of wrapped up with the health stuff now. Let's kind of move on to the actual way that this Orlando tournament relates to soccer on the field and MLS and the schedule. Um, kind of interesting. Jeff said he doesn't even know when this thing is going to start. The thing about Orlando is the league hasn't even announced it yet. So the way the agreement was written was June 24th, if you are allowed to team train in your market, and that obviously varies around the league, you could stay up to um, a week or more later than that with the tournament starting somewhere around July 9th. So given the way things are going in Georgia, um, or have been going in Georgia, I think that we should be able to stay beyond that June 24th date and probably move into that first week of July. So it sounds like that first week of July is when it would start, but we just don't know. I mean, I think it's very telling, as Jeff says, that the league has not even announced this tournament yet uh, specifically and kind of wondering when that's going to happen, considering it's been in the works for a long time and the CBA has been ratified now and there still haven't really been any formal word on what it is. Uh, we, we have heard reports, which by all accounts, you know, I have no reason to doubt any of the great reporting that's been out there already in terms of, you know, the group stage, how it will be structured, the fact that uh, the group stage will contribute to the regular season standings. But speaking of that, and this is something that we've already posted here on Dirty South Soccer about, because this was, to me, kind of the most interesting and kind of shocking thing, was an interaction that Jeff had with uh, the AJC's Doug Roberson, who I'm sure you guys all know, kind of asking about potentially could the Orlando tournament be the end of the season or what, like how many, what would they play afterward? If you guys haven't heard already, I'll just let you, Jeff tell you guys. Have y'all been told what's going to happen after the tournament? I mean, it seems to me that this term and the format is kind of set up just because it could be the beginning and the end of the season if the pandemic starts all over again. If you if you believe that, I'll, I got another one to sell you, Doug. Um, <laughs> although they they Don Garber's words were, "Just can't do it, guys." After Orlando, all we can fit in is nine games. Not sure what he meant there. I've heard rumblings of of more than nine games beginning almost directly after 
Orlando. So we'll see. So, so I'm clear on that. He told y'all that after this tournament there would only be nine more games in the season? He said that the schedule – the way the schedule will work out, yeah. Not sure not sure how that works. The way Jeff finished that response is one of my favorite things about talking to him because it really expresses his – uh, you know, like kind of the way he feels about things without maybe explicitly saying it over the top. But what, what, and that's kind of the reason why I wanted to share this audio directly with everybody is because I think you get a better sense of um, how he's feeling about it. And kind of, I don't know, I just kind of chuckled when he's when he kind of ended it that way. It's kind of a, a kind of a sarcastic way that I might address something. So I very much respect it. Um, of course, there beyond Orlando, one of the other major issues when it came to the CBA was actually negotiating how wages were going to be cut. You know, that's just one of the the, the bad things of this whole deal is that everybody's losing money and the players are going to be one of those parties that loses money as well. And it's something that I've kind of talked about with Major League Baseball and I think all these sports leagues when it comes to a health situation like this COVID-19 thing is that players are going to feel differently about it. And players are you know, going to have a difference of opinions in terms of whether the priority is to collect all their wages that they are owed or to maybe make some sort of deal to get back on the field quicker, especially if they're you know, earlier in the career. And Jeff talks about this uh, right now. You, you have a range. You have a range of, of, of answers. And some players are young and they don't want... They, they don't want to be locked out. Some players are older and they can handle it. And some players are just saying, I'm never going to give them a dollar. And some players are saying, I understand what's going on in the world. And there are many people that are struggling right now. And how can I say that in a, in a six months of, of the season that's already passed, I've played two games that I can't take a pay cut. It, it was contentious. And you have to find a way to not please everyone, but get as close as you can to everyone's desires. And the, the lesson that you learn in collective bargaining is you're never pleasing everybody. Never. And that's tough. You know, it's gotta be emotional for somebody like Jeff to do all this bargaining and negotiating when you know that you're just trying to do the best that you can for a huge swath of people that all have different opinions. And even when you come to a deal like they have now, you might not have everybody that is, you know, all in favor of it or, or really thinks that the, they made a good deal. And you can understand why that would be a, um, just be a struggle emotionally. It's actually amazing that someone like Jeff is able to, has been able to do it time and time again, throughout his career and uh, I really give him a lot of credit and you know just negotiators from all kinds of uh, athlete unions across the spectrum of sports leagues um, to do this kind of thing because it's not easy and you know it's a lot of extra work on top of kind of what they're just getting paid to do um, to play on the field so a lot of credit to him, but you know, somebody asked, it was actually Cody Chaffins from Fox five who, uh, this is how we're going to end it. Just kind of like on how he felt after kind of going through all these negotiations. I don't want to say I'm dissatisfied because the, the, the job of my job, the way I see it as a board member is to find solutions. 
and find solutions in a democratic process, which means that I, I need to find out what everyone else needs and try and find a solution that pleases the most, you know, draw a straight line that gets as close to as many dots as possible. And, and I think in the end, um, we can claim that, that we did that in a, an incredibly tough spot. Were there nights where I, I said to myself, I didn't, I didn't think I'd be doing this this year. Yeah, I did. I said that to myself every night. And, um, but, and there were certainly times where I just was, was fed up and, and had enough. And, um, but kind of every time I got on a call like this with my teammates and, and saw the responsibility that I needed to explain to them what was going on and, and make sure that they had things straight. Um, I knew that, you know, the, there was no way I was ever going to walk away from it. And, it, and like I said, in kind of true form, the league always gives you plenty of incentive to, to keep fighting. So that's where we stand. Uh, hopefully this was kind of informative to everybody. Hopefully everybody has some additional insight as to where the players are coming from uh, when it comes to this cr- just crazy situation. As I'm recording this right now, the players are actually coming back together for a full team training session for the first time back at the training facility, which I'm sure they're happy to do. You know, that's the thing about this is that while there are legitimate um, concerns that players have in terms of being able to do their job safely, they want to do their jobs. And not just for, they, they don't just want to do their jobs because, you know, they want to put food on the table for their families. Like, they want to do their, soccer players want to play soccer. That is their passion in life for most of them. Um, and, you know, I think Darren Eels mentioned the other day, I think he was doing some media, or actually it may have been right after this uh, this interview that we did with with Jeff, and he was saying how he was looking out at Barco, um, you know, scoring a goal, uh, you know, just shooting on goal and it going in and celebrating uh, on the training field with, you know, nobody around, obviously, and just having a, having a great time like he's a little kid out there playing. And that's really what it comes down to for a lot of these players is they just, they want to get back out on the field it's just a really weird way to have to bargain this because you're just trying to make sure that everybody can get out there safely. So uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed this kind of breakdown of, of the interview. I just really wanted to bring it to you because Jeff is such a uh, honest person to talk to in media. So many times you get these very canned answers uh, from players and you understand why it's very easy for them to just give that to media. And so I really just respect the hell out of Jeff for giving us these answers straight from his heart and his head, how you truly feel about this kind of thing and he tends to do that all the time so I, I that's why i just really like talking to jeff um hopefully we'll be able to do some more of this throughout the season i might break down darren's uh interview as well it wasn't to me it wasn't as like informative darren obviously needs to keep his cards a little closer to the chest right like he has he's not he's part of a collective group of um uh, not owners, but he's kind of representing the owners in these negotiations. And, you know, he, he there's just interests on all sides. And, and Darren, as the leader of this club, you know, he has to say some things where he might want to be a little bit more, you know, he might want to divulge a little bit more, but he just knows he can't. So, um, well, I'll take back, I'll take another listen back to that and see uh, if we can do that. If you guys want it, just let me know. You can find us on, uh, Twitter at Dirty South Sock, SOC. I'm JA Patrick 200. And uh, please, if, if you're listening to this or if you found this for our, from our Dirty South Soccer, um, our website, 
please feel free. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts in the comment section about all this and kind of how you guys are feeling. Cause I think that this is something where we all kind of have uh, opinions on it. And I think everybody's entitled to share those opinions as long as it's being done um, in a responsible manner. So thanks everybody for listening and we will catch you next time.